0: Stehen!
1: This is the New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Dan Baltic. Unfortunately, we're not joined by Matt this week. He is, um, as you you may have seen, he hosted a live event earlier this week with Alex Kazemi. He is uh, running around doing stuff, very busy. But um, I'm very busy, too, because I am here right now with none other than Big Dave Martell for episode 67 of New Right. Big Dave Martell of the Biz Archives. It's good to, good to have you here, Dave.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Mr. Dan. I'm excited to be here. And I got to say, you know, uh, now you even got the heathens jumping on and helping you reclaim the Holy Land. So we're all in this together now.
1: That's right. We're uh you know it's it's it started off it was just me and Matt but now we're uh we got more people which uh, is really very helpful when it comes to reclaiming holy lands. Oh yeah. Um just to give you a little intro here that you know many people on our corner of Twitter are already familiar with the Bizarre Archives with you Dave but um, yeah you are the publisher of the Bizarre Archives. This is a pulp publishing company, and um, not uh, a kind of theoretical. Publish a few books here or there, but you have a real catalog. You started only around two and a half, two, three years ago. You'll correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but um, you've been you've have many books to in, in your your catalog right now, and uh, indeed many anthologies because each. Issue of the Biz Archives is a, a the release of an anthology series of short mm-hmm. stories in the pulp tradition. You uh, cover biopunk, cosmic horror, cyberpunk, epic fantasy, and sword and sorcery. Those are the various uh, subgenres of the overall genre that uh, your your work addresses you have the substack the obelisk the obelisk.substack.com and you have uh the bizarre cast which is you know actually a very uh, creative name for a podcast there hmm. i like that
2: thank you yeah um yeah we do the the bizarre cast you know we got we get all the bizarre kings and bizarre Barians together to uh, start talking. We talk about movies and and um, you know just everything that that is pulp adjacent. And I very much I love that you said the pulp tradition tradition because it is truly truly a beautiful Western literary tradition. I also do a podcast with Mike from Imperium Press called Culture Dads, which is a lot of fun. Folks can go check that out. We do some of the similar stuff. We do a lot of culture critique or analysis. Uh, it's pretty much two based publishing dads getting together to do analysis for uh, pop culture history. Sometimes we get into theology, philosophy, and all kinds of stuff. We get in all kinds of stuff, but it's for folkish and dissident minds. So, folks, go check that out at slash podcasts And yeah, I do exactly what you said. We we publish. Uh, we have uh, our main flagship. Which is the bizarre archives itself, which is a collection of short stories from up and coming authors in the weird fiction scene. Um, we do we, we pretty much do just about any pulp adjacent subgenre that's a little bit weird, a little bit psychedelic, a little bit spooky or heroic or anything that's weird and cool and out there. We like it and we will publish it. So we've done everything from like you mentioned biopunk. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably our our main focus is cosmic horror. Or supernatural horror, but mm. we do a lot of different horror stuff, creature features, uh, cosmic horror. More, sometimes even more weird, psychedelic, sci-fi blend stuff. We've even we've even had quite a few uh, pulp noir, weird noir, as well as uh, weird west, like westerns. We we we're all over the place. So any type of story that we think is weird and cool and interesting, we'll put out there. We also have uh, we publish novellas and novels from our authors, guys like uh, M. S. Jones who. We're gonna actually going to have the second part of his epic fantasy series, Chronicles of Heraldria. We have Arbogast, who uh, has done the Shanghai horror. We have uh, our, the great A. Cuthbertson, best-selling author, with the, both the cosmic horror double feature and Spire. We've got a lot of great stuff. C.P. Webster with the horror beneath. Uh, I have a collection of poetry And my collected short stories out called the weird works of Dave Martell. So I got a lot of, we got a lot of stuff out there that we, that we put out there. We also do a lot of reprints. So we've done, um, um, we've done Hodgson with house on the borderland. We did Philip Francis Nolan's first rendition of Buck Rogers, which is called man in the 25th century. Um, We've done, what else have we done? The willows from Algernon Blackwood. Oh, man. We have a, a series called Masters of Horror, which has included everybody from H.P. Lovecraft to Bram Stoker to freaking, you know, uh, who else? Just uh, Arthur there Conan Doyle. All the greats are in there. So folks that really want an introduction to the, the Arthur Mackin, right? Arthur Macken. What a, what a giant. So uh, we've also published The King in Yellow and Hardback. So we've got, and also we published Lord Dunzany's Gods of Pagana. So we've Mm. done like the primordial beginnings of fantasy and horror and everything uh, because going into this, um, it was kind of twofold. I wanted to lift up guys that have been uh, railroaded and blackballed by the really, really corrupted, politically motivated industry that are really Mm. talented and write awesome stuff. I wanted to give them a chance to get out there. And then also I wanted to have, these greats uh from yesteryear that we love our literary heroes and i wanted to have them in my catalog with their books written as is because as we all know the the activists out there are getting their 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 writhing disgusting despicable claws and re-envisioning and rewriting these beautiful masterpieces from our from our ancestors, and it's a an absolute travesty. It's an abomination. So what we do is we reprint them and we ensure that the the, the, the works uh, are presented as they were in their time and stay protected as such forevermore. No negotiations, no capitulation. We want to protect those beautiful cultural relics forever because they're special and they need to be protected. So that's what we're all about. We're all about the new and the old; these traditions all coming together to to uh, promote and sell and give pulp, pulp and weird fiction, these awesome literary traditions back to the people in an affordable, accessible way.
1: Absolutely. And as you're saying this, what strikes me, and I, I want to get into a little bit later, what is pulp, and in kind of um, you know. Definition of that and, you know, a deep dive. But what strikes me is all of these titles, all of this body of work. And I want to give a special shout out here to Friend of the Pod, Arbogast, who put us together for this episode. He, you know, The Shanghai Horror, everyone should buy that. It's a great novella. Uh, yeah. Jordan Allen, another Friend of the Pod, I believe you've uh, published. Yep. And uh, yeah, want to give those shout outs. But what um, strikes me is, you know, a lot of people on our side are starting publishing companies. They're, you know, starting various kind of ventures and putting out content. But uh, you, in a span of a few years, have put out a tremendous amount of content, (laughs) a tremendous amount. This is, you know, something that a publishing house With many editors and staff would be, uh, they would be um, satisfied and you know uh, impressed uh, to have put out what you've put out over the course of the last two years. But you, you, this, this is uh, you know the Bizarre Archives is something that didn't exist two and a half years ago. It's something that came to you during COVID. You, um, you, why, why don't you tell us a little bit about that, how you got started and how so, you grew to where you are today?
2: Absolutely. So, um, oh man. Uh, so COVID hits, I lose my job. My wife is pregnant with our third child, our baby girl. And we were at the time we were house shopping. We were getting ready to buy our first house together. And, you know, after years of, of, you know, job to job to job, trying to raise our kids, we lived in shitty apartments. We lived in garages of, of family members. We've lived in spare room. Like, finally, we're getting ready to move up as, you know, the American dream shattered. And I got, you know, I'm full. Honestly, I got very depressed. I was that messed me up. You know what I mean? There's years of work. You know, it, you don't just like decide to buy a house one day. That's something yeah. you grind for. And I grinded for a long time. And, you know, the, the line of work I was working in, I worked in culinary. It's not a lot mm. of money in culinary. If you want to make money in culinary, you have to grind. And I did. Yo, my second, I worked so much. My second son, you know, I feel so terrible about this. I barely saw him grow up. Mm. And that went into kind of my, my the way that I see things now. I never wanted to do that again. I never wanted to because when you're a father and you look at like videos of your kids growing up, right? You see like they Google does this thing. And this kind of like this really hit me. Google does this thing automatically. It took all the, like the videos and pictures of the kids from my wife's phone and put together this like oh, you know, yeah, collage with the nice music. And they it, it did it on my second son's fourth birthday or something like that. And I felt it was like a dagger in my heart. I was like, I don't remember any of this because I was at fucking work wage Mm -hmm. slaving. And I'm not saying in no disrespect to the dads out there that have to do that. You know, I, my heart goes out to you. You have my support. I love you guys, man. Power to the dads. But that, that is heart wrenching when a father has to see that and realize that. So I was Mm -hmm. like, I need to figure out something that I can do from home. Number one. And that was what I, I, Later on, I I came to this realization, but anyways, I lost everything. And you know what? I was like, I need to create, I need to create something. So I had, um, $200 left over from my stimulus check. Everything was kind of just messed up. And I was like, you know what? I need to build something. So I wrote a few stories. I put up some, some things on Facebook and on Telegram. And I said, Hey, guys out there that like, Authors like H.P. Lovecraft, Robert E. Howard, Clark Ashton Smith, Weird Tales Magazine, this kind of stuff. Send me your stories, and I want to try to put this project together. It's called The Bizarre Archives. And I got some stories. The first story I think I received was from Mr. A. Cuthbertson, who's with us today. Mm -hmm. He's well known for uh, his series In The Bizarre Archives of the character Count Coralor. He did the Cosmic Horror double feature. He's like, his book Spire made it to like number eight in the UK on that. Yeah. He, he's on the, he was a bestseller in the UK with that book. So, um, and you know, that's actually a shout out to Aristophanes on, on Twitter. He, oh, gave, yes. yeah, he gave us a boost and that, that from there, that, uh, skyrocketed. So I owe everything to him for that, for that success. But anyways, I put this thing together and I was like, you know what, our first issue, I was like, this is actually pretty cool. And I put it out there and I was like, you know what, if I sell, you know, amount XM- I can't remember the number I had in my head. I was like, if I sell X amount of copies uh, for the rest of the year, I'm going to count this as a, as a success. I quadrupled that in like the first week of day. Amazing. And then I blew those every milestone I had just with the first issue. And now looking back with our issues now, that issue wasn't Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of it. It was good for the time. It's, you know, uh, I'm proud of that. That was our our debut. The stuff we're doing now blows it out. So that's it it has gone since out of print, but uh that first issue propelled us to go on this wonderful trajectory and since then we have put out so many different books and eventually I was like, you know what? I'm at the point now cuz I started working again. I was like I I can't both work and do this the way that I want to do it. Mm. So I stopped doing the work that I was doing and I was like, you know what, I'm burning my bridges, no retreat, all in. I, believe I love it. This. And we did it. And now um, I'm not making, you know, we're not, we're not high on the hog. We're not whatever, but we're getting to the point that my bills are paid. And we're getting to the point that I can pay guys royalties and we're getting to the point that I can hire artists and X, Y, Z and do all this kind of stuff. And since then, not only like you mentioned our catalog, which you know I'm very proud of, we have a pretty darn big catalog for we have maybe I think we have uh, like if we have a whole crew of everybody that works on every single book, five guys, five mm-hmm. bros. I've gotten together. We had less before. It was like me and another guy, our our lead editor, Cypress Walter. Uh, Mm. And then we uh, our authors came on and they also double as editors. So with this small crew of bros, passionate bros, we put this thing on our back and we've put out probably, we probably have 15 books out. Which, you know, like you said, there's not a lot of companies out there that can compete with that level of, of work. So I was like, I don't have the money. I don't have the capital. I don't have this. But I'll tell you what I do have. I have heart. I have passion. I have love. And I'm the type of guy that if, if I go on a mission, I'm a fucking force of nature. You know, Mm. big Dave is a force of nature when he wants to be, and I want to be here. So we went hard and now we have, we have a a good friend of the scene, uh, Lord Wolfshield who put out a short film adaptation of one of our stories. Mm. We have our, our, our good friend named Fornal who's a lead dev on a project. Uh, a video game project that's based off of one of my uh, fantasy characters, Lucius Lex, and his world, Grim Earth. We have uh, a, um, a tabletop game based off of uh, some of our worlds coming out. We have a, a, a fantasy card game coming out. We have like all of these different you know avenues of of ways that we're going. I'm teaming up with uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Mike from the Culture Dads, and we're going to do a a uh, a record company, it's already in the works. We already have the equipment and everything. So we nice. are attacking every every domain. So this is what happened. A few years back on Millennial, I was actually, my first appearance on Millennial, I'm not sure if you're familiar. Oh yeah,
1: no, I am, I, yeah.
2: I appeared on Millennial for the first time last year. Shout out to my 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 buddy, Millennial Woes. Finally, yeah, Big day finally got his, his chance on the big stage with the Millennial. But a few years back on Millennial, I was listening to... Millennial woes and Morgoth talking, right? Mm. And they were saying, uh, talking, and they were taking questions, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, you know, Mr. Morgoth, I actually reached out to him. I don't know if I can't, I can't remember. If I reached out to him before that or maybe after that, but he name dropped the Bizarre Archives on it, right? And um, uh, I was like, I was really impressed. I didn't know we were reaching that far. That somebody, somebody as big as Morgoth heard about us. So I listened. I tuned in. And he's, people are asking, you know, what are we going to do about video games? What are we going to do about film? What are we going to do about literature? What are we going to do X, Y, Z? He's like, well, we already have some guys that are doing pretty good in literature. But he's like, I don't know about film. I don't know about uh, video games. I don't know if we can achieve these things. Music, these are kind of out of our reach. It's going to be really hard. And I sat there with a notepad and I wrote down everything that he said that we couldn't do. And I was like, I'm out to prove Morgoth wrong. Not because, not because I dislike Morgoth. I really love his content. I'm a big fan. I'm a Morgoth fan, which he actually, I eventually made it onto his podcast, uh, which I was like, yo, I was really enamored with that because I've been listening to him for a long time. You know, shout out Morgoth. But anyway, uh, I wrote down everything that he said we couldn't do. And I was like, I'm going to prove this motherfucker wrong. And guess what? We did. And uh, on just about every single, every single aspect. Video game, you know, video games are a lot of work. We're not there yet. That's going to, that's a big project that needs a lot of work yet. But uh, we have a demo. We have a demo out. Amazing. Yeah. We, it's, it's functioning. We have a game that's coming. So, uh, what I wanted to prove with this is that if you have the passion and you have a bunch of ferocious, loyal, smart guys, a small group of driven, smart people can go pretty far. And what we're putting out is not really um is the, our video game is going to be a triple a game the short film that came out was a was a b flick right that's because that's what the mm. budget was you're not going to do you know you got to keep in mind what we have what we're working with uh mm. our books i believe look really nice and are really good there are they on the same are, are they as polished as maybe something from penguin random house when they do a, a hardback book or whatever probably not This is very kind of, you know, this is, I don't, it's, it's above DIY, but this is underground shit. This is raw. This comes from the heart. This comes from passionate artists that want to bring their visions to fruition. So it's going to be a little rough around the edges. And you know what? I embrace that because I think, because me, myself, I think that shit's dope. I love bands. Like they had the first album and it was recorded on an eight track cassette and it's got a little bit of tape hiss and it's kind of shitty. I Mm. love those albums. I love them. Slayer's first album, Iron Maiden's mm-hmm. first album, all the great metal bands, their first albums. You know how many people think that Kill 'Em all is Metallica's best album to this day? Mm-hmm. Tons of people. That's kind yeah. of a shitty album. You know, it's not really the. It doesn't <laughs> sound that good, right? But <laughs> people love it. it. There's a there's a there's an authenticity. There's heart to it. There's a magic to that. And eventually, we're going to professionalize even further, and we're going to we're going to grow out of that phase. But they're, I'm not expecting us to, to write Wagnerian symphonies and stuff like this. This is what's within our reach, within our grasp, and what we're able to do. And, and in my opinion, not just us, but all of the little publications and little art gangs and crews in, in our sphere are doing a fucking bang-up, awesome job at doing it, and our little underground projects and the stuff that's coming out of our underground blows out the mainstream, The mainstream can't even hold a candle to what we're doing. Our shit is dope. So that's that's kind of the story. Sorry for filler bust. No,
1: no, absolutely. And I mean, it's it's one hundred percent true. And what jumps out at me here is, yes, you guys are talented. You're committed. But one of the reasons why there's such a you know a uh, you you've been so successful is that there's an appetite for the work that you're producing, that is not being uh, fed by the mainstream, by, uh, I've listened to your episode with Prudentialist, by uh, what you've uh, called fempub, which I think is mm-hmm. an awesome term. And it really does describe the publishing industry today, which is, you know, woke and paused and what have you. Yeah. And it's just, it, it, it's fun to, it's institutionally at this point, and, you know, this wasn't always true. I mean, obviously, you're, you know, republishing classics that were very good. Of course, that's why you're republishing them. But at this point in the industry, you, they're just incapable of producing anything that's uh, that's good because their, you know, propaganda, um, you know, dictates that they, you know, essentially we, we could get into it further. But, I mean, it's really hard to tell, like, heroic stories <laughs> in the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in this uh, climate and context. So it's, you know, it's very, you know, aston- not astonishing, but it's very, you know, it's, it's hardening to see that there's such an audience for this type, these type of stories, this type of fiction that, you know, you can grow with uh little you know resources beyond your own grit and uh you know intellect and creativity to uh, where you are today from you know from two hundred dollars and you know and an idea to an actual publishing company that is you know making money profitable publishing many novels every year that's um and that's a a testament to the fact that this is work that they can't get from penguin they can't get from simon and schuster because like i mean i you know i don't read the um you know whatever you know fantasy that you know said that mainstream is putting out but i assume it's like akin to the um young adult uh lord of the rings sequels to stuff that's mm-hmm. just very you know You you don't want to read that because it's, it's, you know, in essentially like spoon feeding you, not only is it, you know, does it uh, offend the reader because it spoon feeds them propaganda that they don't agree with. It also just, it's not entertaining because it's just a bad story. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah,
2: exactly. So uh, one of the things that we've run into is that, um, so our goal is to not be propaganda at all right there you know i have political beliefs there's guys in the in the in our crew that have political beliefs everybody in 2023 has political beliefs the only real political stance that we have is we just don't want any weird gross stuff right we don't want we don't want furry uh, transgender <laughs> orgies and we, we don't want that kind of weird stuff we don't want gross debauchery I mean we want some but you know what I mean the, not the, the the really bad kind we want the awesome kind and Absolutely. The, the entertaining uh the, the stuff that was edgy in the 80s you know what i mean that's Yeah we, yeah we want edgy for the 80s is what we want but um so that's not what we're about and that's why i think folks like it so much because we're not trying to we're not preaching we're not propagandizing we're not evangelizing we're not doing any of that we just want to give people a good time we want to make you feel uh you know we want to make you feel heroic we want to take you on a journey we want to scare you we want to put ideas in your head that are psychedelic and bizarre we want to take you to far-flung alien worlds and you know blood and guts and mayhem and sexy ladies and we want all of that combined, just in, just, just sensationalism, sensation. Because to me, that's what art is about: is to deliver that sensation to the audience, and that's what the core of our philosophy is. We're not interested in teaching people about fucking, you know, whatever, right? And also, <laughs> here's the deal: is if if you have the position that we do the The bad guys that are trying to uh, do activism and, and pollute and, and corrupt things, they view that as a political act. Just writing a story with a handsome, dashing hero and he falls in love with a beautiful girl, to them, that is a, like a, a, a political act. To have a noble, strong king in your story is a political act to them. To us, it's not. And it's really not. It's just, we are the, we are, you know, we are the standard. We are, we don't need to react to them. They are reacting to us. We are just doing things the way it's supposed to be done. Everybody in history agrees with us and disagrees with them period on everything. So we don't even need to try to explain ourselves. Just be.
1: Yeah, no, I was going to say that um, tradition the the stories that have like been traditionally popular the the hero quest stories if you read Joseph Campbell there's like you know archetypes across civilizations like this is who a hero is this is what he does there's a reason why this is as you're saying there's a reason why this is appealing and by kind of so the you know fempub as uh, as we've called it it, um, you know, they they don't like the hero archetype. No, <laughs> they, so they they want to introduce something that is different, something that is you know, but but it doesn't work because it's not you know built into it. Doesn't conform to reality. The reason why these archetypes work is because they conform to a reality or a desired reality. Like if you're a if you're a young boy growing up, like you you have fantasies of you know, military valor, and, you know, winning women and winning spoils, or what have you winning your glory or acclaim. And this is something that like men want to read about, you you don't want to read about the stuff that they're telling you now, which is like the opposite of that. It's like, you know, how men learn to, you know, be gay or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's you know, it's not, yeah, you know, I just I can't imagine, I would hope that, you know, the new generation doesn't want to read stories like that. So it's just like they they essentially to get back to why your stories are appealing it's because you're telling the stories that have historically been appealing because they conform to human nature <laughs> and exactly. the the publishing industry is you know trying to tell the you know fempub the you know the regime whatever we want to call it are trying to tell stories that are um, you know do not conform to human nature and present um you know visions and ideals that are alien and you know just people don't really want to read like they might agree with it they might you know they're they're you know soldiers or activists might be like but uh they they don't want to pick up books and read about it because it's you know it doesn't you know speak to them because it's you know it doesn't speak to anyone so yeah i mean i think we're at a unique moment in time where just by virtue of being a champion of the stories that people are born to like you, you can, you know, develop a substantial following and, uh, you know, a substantial, you know, uh, place in the, the marketplace of ideas. And I'm happy to see that you're doing this and that, you know, across our side of the internet where uh, I mean, the, the tagline of new right is reclaiming the literary Holy land and mm-hmm. that's a bit tongue in cheek but um you know there's always some truth said in jest
2: yeah i've actually referred to what we're doing as a jihad so there we go <laughs> but no you hit on something there that is that's money so detractors people that don't like what we do right and they're seething right they're really starting to seethe that we're doing this and we're beating them and we're sell we sell more books than them you know what i mean um, absolutely Obviously, we can't compete with the the industry darlings like the Sandersons and the Stephen Kings of the world, but these low level people on Twitter that have you know twenty, thirty thousand fake uh, followers and um, claim that they're a, a signed published author, you know, we blow them out. They're not even. We're not even in the same room. But what they, our detractors will say is uh, well you 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 guys are just clinging on to the past and clinging and they're pretty much saying that we're we're trying just appeal to history for the sake of 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 whatever right the the truth of the matter is um the kind of stories that we tell are not good because they're old they're good because they're in line with our nature exactly they're mythopoetic right um and this is something that will never die Tolkien had a very great analogy, called it the pot of soup. And some people call it the cauldron of stories. There are certain archetypes and themes, the modern or motifs, the modern way of describing these, they'll say tropes. I don't really like this word trope because it has a negative connotation. Because uh, among people with postmodern priors, just presuppose that uh, novelty is always good. That you know, they're always like trying to look for the next new thing. Yeah, uh, they don't want to. Uh, they're always trying to reinvent the wheel. And because of that, they go into bizarre directions that don't like really slap. They don't hit, they don't hit home. Yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is that these motifs and these tropes, there's no such thing as a new idea. You know, the, with Tolkien's pot of soup, the way he described it is there are these story elements that have been told over and over and over again, going back all the way into the mists of our ancient history. And every new epoch, we reach our we dip our ladle into the pot of soup and we pull out the same ingredients, except they're just they're just seasoned a little bit differently. There's arranged a little bit differently. And that's a good thing. And that's a good thing. And the, as long as people are dipping their ladle into the, the pot of soup, forever will we tell good stories. And forever will we remember how to give people thrills and chills. And forever will we remember what heroes look like. A future where we forget what heroes look like and what bad guys look like. And, and we forget how to entertain and give sensation. And these most beautiful, deep, just pre-rational Uh, Elements of the human experience. Mm. A future where we forget all of this is a grim, bleak, barren future that is no longer human. And I fear that. And I want to avoid that like the plague but i believe that that as long as we play our cards right and we continue doing what we're driven to do we drink the meat of poetry and we embrace the fur poeticus forever will we tell these stories and no matter how bleak and dark and shitty the future becomes we will hold these things in our hearts forever so that is what i believe so like i said before our ancestors, our heroes, our liter- the literary giants, and all of the great, most brilliant men in all of history agree with us on everything, all the way, and disagree with them on everything, all the way. That's it. Absolutely. We don't need to. Re- I got okay. you. You're back. All
1: right. all right. There we are. Okay. There we go. Um. Yeah. No. I mean, one hundred percent the stories of old are successful and appeal to us for a reason. And that reason is biological. <laughs> and, uh, that's uh, you know, that's a hard pill for um fem pub as uh, we call it to swallow. But um, I'd say you know, it spiritual
2: it's spiritual too. I would say it's spiritual.
1: Yeah. Sp- spiritual and biological. And it's, but I mean, it's a white pill for us because It is, you know, proof that no matter what they're saying out there, no matter what they're trying to get people to believe, um, it's not going to work because we're just hardwired to want certain stories and certain things. And I remember on your episode with Prudentialist, you said that by, you know, when Superman is long forgotten, people will still remember Conan. Mm -hmm. And I think that's quite right. I think that, you know, though I like I don't dislike Superman, I don't dislike, you know, the kind of comic book heroes that we've been raised on. I remember when I was an undergrad in college reading the Iliad for the first time Mm -hmm. and I was, you know, like struck by, wait a minute. These these guys are they're really like braggarts. They're like really like, you know. They're like talking about how great they are and how much everyone else sucks. (laughs) And they're like, they're like killing people who are sleeping. I'm just like, this, this doesn't seem like what a hero would do, but like, in fact, throughout history, that is closer to, you know, the masculine heroic ideal than the kind of like, oh, uh, shucks, I'm just, you know, uh, a nice guy. I don't really want to get laid or uh, do, you know, do anything too wild. I just want to save the day and, you know, make sure I don't beat up any bad guys too bad because they have rights too. (laughs) That's like, that's not really what the, I mean, it's a, a version of what being a hero is like, but it's not quite, what we've historically understood the term to mean. Would you say that's accurate?
2: Yeah, absolutely. First of all, the the whole uh, superhero type of narrative is it, it starts from liberal priors. It's exactly what it is. And you know, I'm not yeah. trying to get too far into politics and theory and all this kind of stuff. But uh, liberalism presupposes egalitarianism. It presupposes like mm. individual autonomy and individualism. It presupposes free will. It presupposes that uh, effectively people are just modular humans. It presupposes uh, mm. nurture over nature. It's this thing of um, and I'm sure you know, I mean, me and you are almost the same age. How many times in school did we hear you could be anything that you want? And that's true. just not true. That's not not true. Absolutely. Unfortunately, Johnny that has a 95 IQ can't become the president. He can't become an astronaut. He can't become a scientist. He's just not capable of it. Not that he's a bad guy and society. I actually think it's a it's a horrible crime that Johnny with 98 IQ uh, has to live with this idea that he could never uh, fulfill. like Reach for the stars. We should say Johnny with 98 IQ. You are you can you can be a laborer. You could be not that I'm not on laborers, but we need laborers. There is nobility in being that there's nobility in being a, a custodian or being, a, you know, whatever you are. There's nobility in that
1: because Absolutely.
2: we need those people. Not everybody can be a hero. In fact, only a couple guys can be a hero. And this is where I depart from Joseph Campbell's, um, you know, his uh, hero of many faces is that um, the hero is of noble birth right? Beowulf is of noble birth. Um, um, Achilles is of noble birth. Odysseus, noble birth. Conan of noble birth, right? These people are of, of noble bloodlines that are of, of higher caste, right? We don't have this. The idea of the caste is completely just abominable to a, to a modernist, but to yeah. the ancient people, this was a, a beautiful thing. And it gave them hope that there were people that could be born that had superpowers that were above and just were great and we with-
1: cut out there for a moment Dave
2: are you back I'm sorry yeah there- no I,
1: I hear you yeah theres I hear you
2: there's something funky going on my no, it's okay sorry. these things happen so uh where was what was the last thing I said
1: uh that you know it's the um you're- <laughs> The heroic archetype is biological. It's about bloodlines. It's about, you know, the aristocracy. That seems well, to be the.
2: Biological is, is putting it in materialist terms.
1: Fair enough. Um, yeah.
2: If, if you read something like Rigsfula from the Poetic Edda, it's, it tells the story of how the cast came to be. And it says that Rig, who is thought to be uh, Heimdall or um, historically was King Skef who is probably the primordial king of, of, of Northern Europe, uh, sired all the great kings. In fact, all the great kings from Alboen to the Aethelings to everything claimed to be of his lineage. And I believe that they were telling the truth. Um, they said that this divine person came to, or, or emanation or avatar, or maybe even the god, one of the gods themselves in disguise, came to earth and sired the castes, right? He coned the kingly, was of the king's caste right? the Jarl cast. and then he gave he he sired the um, the thrall cast and he sired uh, all of the castes, right? Uh, the Karl cast. and these people had functions in society and this gave a, an organic natural order to society. So our people of the ancient our ancestors of the ancient world were not appalled by the idea of somebody that is of superior that's just made of superior stuff. and in fact, it gave them hope and they liked it. Absolutely. So when you look at like a, like a Superman or a Batman or, or whatever, uh, they have to, all right, I'm all back right. again. All right. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that.
1: No, no worries, man.
2: So, um, where was I, what was the last thing I said before I
1: cut out? Um, that, you know, a Superman or a Batman, when we get to, you know, these, you know, modern superheroes, they're based not on the, um, you know, they don't come from the older understanding of the social order, but from the newer liberal understanding, I think.
2: Yes, exactly. Exactly. So Conan, the reason Conan is just going to be, is just immortal and people will like him forever is because he is the son of Odysseus. He's the son of Beowulf. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's my take on the heroic archetype.
1: Okay, great. Yeah. No, I mean, like... It is, you know, very much uh, when I was reading the Iliad, I was just struck like, oh, my God, this is a totally different understanding of men and, you know, male nature and Mm -hmm. the, you know, the what it means to be a hero. But then, like, as you kind of go on and you, you read more and also you live more, you experience more, you realize, oh, wait a minute, there's something to this there's something to this that speaks very deeply to uh to men. Yeah. And
2: the I would add, the, it's called the Mary Sue. Superman is the Mary Sue or the Gary Stu they call it sometimes. <laughs> the Mary Sue is a failure of understanding uh heroism. Mm. Um the hero is not like if, for anybody familiar with Nietzsche, right? The Ubermensch. The hero is the Ubermensch. Yeah. He exists above our laws he exists above our capabilities he is the superman the overman and he does not uh, have the same moral compass that we do he's not about the same morality that we are so he's allowed to go sometimes he's cruel sometimes he's he's uh, vicious sometimes he's virile sometimes he's he's uh, ostentatious sometimes he just does things because he feels like it right mm-hmm. this is the this is the hero the guy that does this and um he is my my buddy mike from Imperium press describes this as he's the odinic man right he is mm-hmm. like odin where he is uh, a force a force that comes in and shakes things up right he's not uh, superman is like oh well, truth justice in the american way and goody two shoes and all this kind of shit and that's just not how heroes are a hero is virile a hero is is raw and rugged and all of these kinds of things. And if he wants to, uh, if he wants to go bed this maiden because it feels good, he will. If he wants to go get this treasure so he can just build a castle and build a statue to whatever, if he, whatever he wants to do, he's going to do right. That is the hero. And that is why Conan is so based because he does. Sometimes there's no rhyme or so he modernists. Here's another thing is that they, purposely misrepresent mis- misrepresent uh howardian heroes conan for example they make him seem like he's this big dumb goofball he's not conan is brilliant he's of great cunning and a lot of times he avoids physicality to use his mind instead and this is something that the hero can do right but uh the thing is with conan is sometimes he just goes on adventures for the fuck of it and doesn't even need to justify it uh he, queen of the black coast it's story starts is that there is a ship of pirates and conan just pops up out of the ocean who knows where he came from flops onto the boat he's like he's here now now our adventure starts he doesn't need to say where he came he doesn't need a reason he's like let's let's roll that's it Yeah, you know what i mean he goes into the tower of the elephant and search for the jewel because he wants the jewel and that's based right and stephen king uh, who has a big swollen goofy head and looks like a, like a, like a burn victim. He, um he describes it. He says, Oh, it's just male power fantasy. Like this is a bad thing. Let me tell you, if if young men are going to fantasize about anything, let them fantasize about power. Right. Absolutely. So that's my take on it.
1: Yeah. I mean, one thing that jumps out at me and I don't want to make this too political, but when people then you know this is something that you know they talked about a lot more when trump was president and what have you that uh they're like well he's not a real man or whatever because he's not honorable or this or that and there's you know many things you could spill a lot of ink about you know whatever you know indiscretions or (laughs) such things but um in terms of what, what struck me is it's a misunderstanding uh, of what it means to be a man and that people who said that like Trump isn't a real man, I think they just are operating from a, a framework where they don't understand what it is to be a man the same way historically people have understood <laughs> what it means to be a man. And so the kind of the qualities that, you know, he was excoriated for, like being, you know, cruel or merciless or too horny or (laughs) whatever. I mean, actually throughout history, those were seen as to some extent manly qualities.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, they're working. So I would go a step further. I would say they do absolutely understand The masculine and the feminine nature, they just hate it. It makes them they they are spiteful mutants and it makes them sick. Things that are natural and good and holy and wholesome and the way things should be makes them makes their skin crawl. They just hate nature. They hate natural law and they want because they they worship themselves and they want to see themselves upon the throne of God. And that's just, you know, it's just not going to happen. And in fact, those who try to climb up and sit at the top of the world tree in the throne of the king of heaven will fall and tumble and hit the earth very hard. And that's what's in their future.
1: So, yeah, let's um, let's get into what is in in your episode with Prudentialist. I think you said something to the effect of pulp is the DNA of all current art. And Pulp, on our side of the internet, there's a lot of interest in it. Apocalypse Confidential, their kind of um, theme, motif, uh, mission statement, it involves Pulp. It was grown out of the Elroy Boys podcast to a certain extent, which is about James Elroy, a you know noir, Pulp-type writer. And in general, just on our side, there's an affinity for pulp, so um, you being a, a master of pulp, what uh, what what do we mean by pulp?
2: So this is it, it gets a little bit hairy because um, pulp traditionally refers to a format or a medium, I should say. Pulp uh, in its in its heyday being the You know, it started in the late 1800s, but a lot of people will refer to the golden age of fiction being the 1920s, 30s and 40s. And during this time, when you said pulp, people would think of pulp magazines. These were uh, usually six by nine uh, sized um, like books that were very cheaply made with using pulp paper, which pulp paper was the paper that was uh made from wood pulp that was left over from making good paper so it was crap it was they were also called dime novels because they cost between a a dime and a quarter and uh, the people loved these this was this was like the i guess you could say like the netflix of its time this was what everybody was reading Mm -hmm. you could you couldn't go anywhere without pulp magazines being on all the shelves there was thousands of them, thousands, who even knows how many, probably millions and millions of copies of this stuff was, was produced. Uh, It was, it was so widespread that uh, people would use them to like uh, as like paper for, I don't know, just anything, anytime they needed extra paper, they would just like use an old pulp Mac. And unfortunately, because of the nature of this paper, uh, most, the overwhelming majority of every uh, publication that existed has since disintegrated. So we don't have that many examples. I have one that was printed in the fifties that was given to me by a, a, an elder in my faith community. And it is like, it's handling some sort of medieval artifact. It feels like it's going to fall apart in your hands. It is, unfortunately they didn't survive. However, in today's world, uh, pulp can mean that, but it's also kind of a vibe. Pulp mm-hmm. is a vibe for uh, anything that's sort of underground fiction, uh, underground stuff from up and coming authors, things that are generally in ad- adventure fiction or horror fiction, uh, things that are weird fiction like we do, uh, stuff like uh, guys I would put Aegean sci Sci-Fi Illustrated, my buddy Brendan Heard from Arius Press, I would put him mm. in there. I would put uh, Savage Frontiers in there. Uh, there's actually Mr. T.R. Hudson, author of uh, mm. Automaton, uh, which we did did a review on um, on our Substack. Mr. Arbogast did mm. uh, is coming out with a Double Dealer, which is a actually named after a a pulp publication from that era. So we have right. a lot of this stuff. Uh, pulp then was replaced later on by uh, mass production paperbacks, Ace paperbacks. A lot of people call them in the mm-hmm. '60s and '70s and, and so forth, uh, which were still kind of in the same vibe, but that sort of it sort of fell off in the '80s. Now, the the uh, the influence of the the stuff that came out of the pulp era of Pulp Fiction cannot be understated. Everything good. Uh, that we now know as modern media has its roots in pulp pulp was the big bang of modern media period it was it influenced everything you can't think of a movie you can't think of a a a, a genre of fiction you can't think of anything today that is not at least fictionally right uh, related to pulp in some way is part of that lineage it was the big bang even things people a lot of people won't even realize things like the godfather the the series the sopranos the spaghetti westerns the clint eastwood movies we all love um you know uh all of the great action flicks the arnold movies star wars everything even into music you can't, you can't, especially things like, like uh, the various heavy metal genres that many of us like. Are you drinking a Celsius now, too?
1: I am drinking a Celsius. I'm double we fisting are, here.
2: We are of the same taste. I wish I had my <laughs> camera set up. LaCroix and Celsius are exactly what I'm drinking.
1: Oh, there we go. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, a little power in the Celsius, a little cool down with the uh, LaCroix
2: yeah a little refreshment with the LaCroix hell yeah, oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Weird. so anyway um, uh, even in, in genres of music you can't you can't get away from the influence of pulp uh, it was just the way magazines are set up the format itself the way that they're laid out came out during the pulp era comic books the pulp era e- the comic book heroes that you think we we're just talking about Superman Superman and his ilk are a direct I would say pl- uh were plagiarized from the pulp era. Mm. Um, you know, you could say uh, Superman is literally a ripoff of doc Savage. Mm. Doc Savage is the man of bronze. He is, he lived in the, uh, um, the, the top of the empire state building. He had a team of guys called the fabulous five. He mm. uh, was a super soldier. He uh, knew all this martial arts. He was rich, had all these contraptions of uh, the shadow is is literally like batman mm. is a, is just a retelling of the shadow you yeah. can't get away you can't get away from pulp um uh, um mark hamill's character in star wars luke skywalker is buck rogers he even dresses like buck rogers mm. and in fact in in george lucas's of uh, first uh, big film t h x 1138 which i'm actually writing an article about as we speak Mm-hmm. Um, was there's the Buck the old Buck Rogers show is playing on one of the screens in one of the things. Oh, so, okay. so these guys: Flash Gordon, uh, John Carter of Mars, Tarzan, yeah. Conan, Solomon Kane. You know, you can't you can't get away from the influence these characters had. Not just them, the romance novels of that time, all romance novels today. That that nasty degenerate smut that that like uh, <laughs> these ladies like now. That they were reading nasty, degenerate smut from the pulps. It's not. different. Oh, yeah. There's nothing different. Uh, the war stories, all of the awesome like war story movies that we watch, Platoon and uh, even things like Mash. Um, you know, Saving Private Ryan. Those come from the pulps. Those are literally the pulps. The Godfather is literally a pulp uh, story. Uh, mm-hmm. You watch the Sopranos. I see pulp motifs in that throughout the whole thing. So oh, yeah. Pulp Fiction was the big bang of all of these things, the movie alien, right? The movie alien, which we all love. Uh, the guy that, well, I can't remember the director's name names coming off. I can't, remember. uh,
1: Ridley Scott, right? Ridley
2: Scott and the writer that was on that. I can't remember his name either, but they were asked, uh, the writer was asked, so where'd you get the, the ideas for this movie? He goes, well, I get, I got it from the old, the old sci-fi stories. He goes, and you know what? I didn't steal from anybody. I stole from everybody. That's what he said. Which is awesome because the alien rules. These yeah. the, the movie The Thing is based off of oh, a, yeah. an old pulp thing. So like the Terminator, all of these stories, all of these great sci-fi movies that we love are just directly lifted. They're not new ideas. And then obviously the just the immortal, insurmountable influence of the giant HP Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. HP Lovecraft defined how we how we uh, tell spooky stories today you can't you can't write we can't even fa- even people have never heard of Lovecraft if they try to come up with a scary story his DNA is in it yeah it's like people say you can't criticize the idea of philosophy or criticize uh, Plato without uh, criticizing philosophy itself you can't criticize uh, uh, H.P. Lovecraft without criticizing horror itself he is horror. That's why his these efforts to cancel him because he said had naughty ideas back in the day will fail forever. Because you we can't have horror without Lovecraft. Period.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, these are the you know people that we should be uh, you know, reading, venerating, and um, you know to the extent that you know i i hope the uh the pod is exposing our listeners to um you know these authors and stories um you know more please uh please look into them because they are uh, the foundation of the stuff that we enjoy today
2: all of your favorite horror movies all of them the directors uh ready or obsessed with h.p lovecraft you can't find one that isn't all of them Uh, or guys like, um, you know, another guy, Clark Ashton Smith, who is part of kind of what I call the pulp trial or the the weird fiction triality. Those guys you just can't, you can't mess with them. And then you can go back further. Obviously, Bram Stoker, Mary Shelley deserves a mention. The folks from the, the, the Victorian, um, the Gothic horror era, Mm. these guys were absolutely immense as well. And then there was kind of, folks that were going into cosmic horror and, and weird fiction uh, during the middle period, Arthur Mackin, um, uh, d- d- Chambers, Robert, Robert Chambers, um, uh, like, uh, William Hope Hodgson, uh, Ambrose Bierce. Like guys, if you have not read these people, these people show that in our time period, in our epoch, we made beautiful things, incredible right. things that if we took our the, the the great minds of the ancient world and the medieval and renaissance world and we sat them down and showed it to them they would think it was fucking dope you could take homer and sit him down and be like here read tower of the elephant read uh, freaking you know read lord of the rings read uh, all of this stuff watch you know, I don't know watch watch terminator 2 and he would think that it's awesome he they would be proud of us And they would be proud of the people that were that were influential on us just the day before yesterday. The line, the the lineage never stopped. We weren't cut off. We're not uh, men among the ruins. It's not over. We don't even need to be back. We never left.
1: There we go. Uh, To kind of jump into the uh, the subgenres that this archives publishes. Uh, we we mentioned earlier, biopunk, cosmic horror, cyberpunk, epic fantasy, sword and sorcery. Who are some of the authors? Um, not just uh, the authors that you know are on our side publishing today, but the authors um, in more somewhat more recent history who um, stick out as you know these are guys who you should read. So, like, what's uh, what's your take on William Gibson? What's your take on Robert Heinlein and Arthur C. Clarke? And uh, you know, who who am I missing here?
2: Um, with Gibson, so uh, Neuromancer is one of the greatest things ever written. Neuromancer, okay. with its predictive predictive qualities, the the story itself. It, the, he literally coined words that we use in a technical way now, cyberspace. You know, yeah. he, he invented that word. That book was that book is pr- uh, probably more influential on the technocrats that we all complain about than something like you know Karl Marx or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh,
2: in fact, guys from from Microsoft and Facebook and Google, these programmers that are coming out with this real spooky technocratic crap they literally say Neuromancer influenced them. You know? I believe it. Yeah.
1: I I read Neuromancer, and that was, like, in the early uh, 2010s. And I'm like, wait a minute. This guy is describing the internet in, like, the 1980s. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, It's pretty uh, perceptive.
2: (laughs) Pretty spooky that he he came up with that. Genius. Absolutely genius. Uh, So, yeah, cyberpunk. Cyberpunk is a is a wonderful uh, version of of sci fi, and I think first of all, su- I don't go too hard with subgenres and genres. I think that they're fun to talk about to talk about these categories and where they come from. But mm-hmm. if for us now, it's awesome to take bits and pieces from every bin yeah. to to create something completely weird. So, um, but there's nothing wrong with if doing a traditional tale. We've published many tales that, for example, with Lovecraftian tales, they start out with an academic or a reporter, and he follows a trail on a spooky book or an artifact, and he comes into contact with some sort of weird entity, makes him go insane. So we've told that that story could be told over and over again, and it's tried and true, and there's nothing wrong with it. But there's also, you can also mix and match. So I'm not somebody that says, here is your formula. I say death to formulas. Just tell us something dope from the from the the abyss of your weird imagination cook up something bizarre do it that's my point that's that's what i say there but we go when we talk about things like uh biopunk biopunk is like cyberpunk so there's really only one punk there's punks have just, have just gone nuts right there there's steampunk which i don't even consider it. i think steampunk sucks i don't like mm-hmm. the aesthetic of it i think it's corny it makes no sense really mm. cyberpunk makes sense and even biopunk makes sense mm. diesel punk makes sense steampunk does not make sense because under steampunk there it's that's a whole other thing right it's just it's just a bunch of people that want to wear weird costumes that's all yeah. it's it's gay in my opinion but um uh biopunk and and things like diesel diesel punk is just it's just a way to describe the era of the world wars okay um, something like uh you know so that's that and then you also mentioned uh so cyberpunk let's go back to cyberpunk let's go let's take, let's take a step back to science fiction what is science fiction um science fiction in its science fiction proper and its tradition in in my opinion is a is a very mythopoetic it is our mythopoetic uh storytelling device so are things like sword and sorcery mythopoetic obviously because they're like king arthur they're like um you know beowulf etc etc they have swords and magic and you know great cosmogenies and all of these you know mythopoetic elements well what is mythopoetics mythopoetics is uh like storytelling motifs uh, associated with telling the story of a people of a folk and it has to do with their origins and the beginning, right? The the mythos of a people that define their identity. Um, and for us, that's things like you know, sword and sorcery and fantasy, Lord of the Rings, etc. Those are those are mythopoetic. The Lord of the Rings is super mythopoetic because it even goes into it, has like their their uh their the, the beginning of the universe and like all yeah. these ages. And Conan and Howard has that as well: cycles of ages, cyclical time and all that, or helixical time, however you want to describe it. However, going into cyberpunk and science fiction for our modern epoch, that is our mythological or our mythopoetic way of storytelling, because mythopoetics has to do with eschatology of a people.
1: Oh, yeah, sure.
2: Eschatology is your origin, but also your doom. And Mm -hmm. science fiction is concerned with our doom because uh, it is telling the story of What happens to humanity when we we dive into technology and we relinquish our technology or our our humanity in favor of technology. So if you go read the original science fiction works, it has to do with mad scientists. It has to do with technology gone awry. It has to do with alien invasions. Mm. It has to do with the effects that technology has on us going forward. It wasn't like Star Trek. I reject Star Trek entirely. I liked it at Mm. one point, but I reject it. It's fake and gay. It's Mm. it's just—it's like—it's just completely just progressive horseshit. Oh, we've we've invented all of our problems away, and now all that's left is us to go into the universe and make friends with aliens, Mm. and that's it. And that's why it sucks. It's something like War of the Worlds, or something like the Time Machine, or something Mm. like Neuromancer, or something like. Um, you know, all of these things tells a story of what happens when dealing with outsideness or or trying to play God and become creators of a new thing will we'll sow the seeds of our doom. And this is exactly what cyberpunk displays is what happens amidst or after we do that. When we get into a world, Where we uh, abandon our humanity and we accept uh, our our future as machines, as no longer humans, and the, the consequences and the dystopia that occurs when we do this. So science fiction is not a worship of science, and in fact, it is the opposite. It is a the warning of of science and the, ner- the the nervousness associated with how science and technology will change the very uh, um, blueprint of what what it means to be human. So when you look at cyberpunk and science fiction and these things, it's not like Star Wars. You could say that Star Wars has science fiction elements, but Star Wars is a fantasy, right? These this is science fantasy, or some some people will describe it as a uh, a planetary opera or planetary romance and this is exactly what it is now you could go into dune frank herbert's dune which is, i think is on the level of of lord of the rings as far as its vastness mm. and epicness and brilliance there's only going to be one Dune; nobody can ever replicate that mm. uh frank herbert was a genius that was one off that's it in my opinion and mm. dune tells a similar story it is a world in and of itself and shows the, the the ages of a people as they uh, reap the consequences of technology being thinking machines and the uh, G, um, the Butlerian Jihad, and then going into what happens when you abandon your humanity. It has a very uh, populist kind of a vibe to it. There's what's brilliant about Dune is it doesn't have a singular narrative. All of the the factions and people and characters in Dune have their own narratives and have their own agendas, and they're all competing for one another. And this is what's so brilliant about Dune. And this is why Dune is immortal, is it's not trying to thrust something upon somebody, going back to this. it's It's not trying to preach to you. But it's letting you inhabit this world where all of these characters are part of this ecosystem that are all trying to compete with one another and have their own stories, their own philosophies, and their own narratives. So at the end of the day, science fiction is a warning of technology, not a worship of it. And that is why I think that a lot of modern sci-fi sucks and a lot of modern fantasy sucks because fantasy is is literally just a transposing of modern liberal modernity just like in a world where there's magic and stuff. Me and my buddies call it Seattle with elves. They just create uh, there Seattle with elves. That's all they do. They don't have caste systems. They don't have no noble birth. They don't have uh, any sort of uh, religiosity, which is a huge part of the modern world or the, the ancient world or the medieval world, you know, that defined who they were, right? It's like, oh, well, everybody can just be who you are. It's personal autonomy. There's no sort of clan um, obligations, which if, and this is because you have these people that, that have no interest in learning about history. The greats that we've been mentioning over and over again, the fantasy writers, they read the, the source materials. They were reading uh, the transcripts. They were reading the ancient stuff, and that's what informed their fantasy. Now we are in a time where fantasy informed fantasy informed fantasy, and they don't even know what the ancient world looked like. And that's why it sucks. Because, number one, it's not in line with, with how we understand history. It's not in line with human nature. It's not even in line with uh, unhuman nature, I guess you could say, where you have lizard men falling in love with, with goblins and all this dumb <laughs> shit. Yeah. Here's the deal. is like, uh, like a, Say you had like a reptilian race, an intelligent reptilian race. This, the mind of that creature is going to be alien to you. You can't Absolutely. fall in love with a reptile that reptile sees you as food and even if it can talk and even if you can negotiate with it if it gets hungry it will eat you and mm-hmm. you can never trust it you can't fucking fall in love with it you, yeah. can't, you can't fall in love with, uh, like here's the deal is the reason that that in lord of the rings that aragorn who was a numenorian which wasn't a, really like a normal human was a numenorian um, could fall in love with i can't remember her name the elf in that story is because they both have super long lifespans. You, a normal human can't fall in love and, and understand an elf in like a fantasy setting. An elf that's immortal or even lives thousands of years has a completely different relationship with their own mortality. It sees reality. They perceive reality completely different way. These are the types of things that modern fantasy writers, one, don't take into account because they don't want to because it's problematic for their ideology, and two, just aren't creative or smart enough to consider. And you don't need to put exposition for these things into your stories. You don't have to explain it at all. You could just have it, show how it functions. And people, readers, especially like good readers, will pick up on that and understand it innately, period.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It strikes me that today, the current um environment with regard to uh, political um you know the regime's <laughs> propaganda, what have you, plus technology the the environment is ripe for a you know a science fiction renaissance, I would think a renaissance in cyberpunk because. It um it certainly seems that if, you know, if the eschatology of our time, our era is the kind of uh, disastrous consequences of technology and ideology combining to undermine human nature, well, that's, you know, unfortunately, where it seems we're headed in many respects. So, yeah, I mean, I think at this juncture... Where you are, where you know the writers on our side are, is a great place to be because you uh, you're working with some uh, great material and and great motivation.
2: Yeah, it's important that we talk about we 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 talk about these ideas and we we uh, critique what is wrong with modern literature because you know this is an age where people don't read books, you know. Uh, we're talking about the, all these people don't sell books. Well, they're not selling books because people don't read books. And yeah. what has happened is that especially young men uh, don't just not read books because they're playing video games and, and all this stuff, which is, which is also true. They're not reading books because young men were chased out of literature, right? Um, I remember Absolutely. my English teacher, I think it was seventh or eighth grade. I can't remember. She told me that Conan was for boneheads. And then we go and we read a book called Holes. I love that book. book?
1: I don't, but I can imagine it was it was
2: (laughs) it's okay, I guess. But it was not even it doesn't hold a candle as far as poeticism, as far as like craft, objectively inferior in style and delivery as you know uh, you know Hour of the Dragon or Red Nails or Devil and Iron or you know uh, People of the Black Circle or whatever. It's you. Know, she told me, oh, that's for boneheads. Read this. And I was like, this sucks. And then as we get older, we go into high school, we read these, you know, supposed American classics, these literary uh, fictions, you know, uh, of mice and man. And, um, which, you know, I guess, you know, I saw the movie and I, I appreciate the movie and I respect the movie and I'm not ripping on it too hard. But if you're 14 years old or 15 years old, do you want to read of mice and men? Do you want to read To Kill a Mockingbird or do you want to read Princess of Mars?
1: Yeah, you know I mean, absolutely. You,
2: they need—they have literally alienated young men in their imagination by cutting their imagination out of their bodies like it's a, a, a cancerous tumor. And it is such an awful crime. And we have so much work to do to rekindle the love of reading in young men. And the way I think that we do it is with excitement, with sensation, with weirdness, with some stuff that's a little bit edgy, uh, blood and guts and mayhem and turbo violence and grim dark and fantasy and magic and heroes and muscular gods and wizards and sexy ladies and you know all of the above, monsters from outer space and all this kind of shit. Because just getting them to open a book and to see the magic in the world of of the book is is a battle in and of itself right absolutely because before we went to the stars before we invented great things people imagined them without imagination we have nothing and unfortunately the young generation walking around today have had their imagination cut from their cut from their souls And instead they are now completely just, their minds are numbed by the crap that they're into. I like video games too. I love video games. I grew up in the age, we're the OGs. We're the OG gamers.
1: No, we are, yeah. We are the OGs. I play Nintendo and uh, Sega and all that shit.
2: We're the OGs with the Nintendos and the Sega Genesis. We're the OGs with the first computer games dude, dude. this guy's playing playing Fortnite. it's like dude i already played that it was called unreal tournament it was called quake
1: yeah, Don't even i keep... mean medal of honor i played the first one on playstation hell yeah <laughs> the first medal of... i remember playing it and thinking like oh this is pretty cool this is a uh, world war ii you know like it seems realistic and like now like 20 years later it's it's medal of honor
2: yeah yeah hell yeah like it I will boomer post right now. You know, I was doing this shit before you kids even like like this. I'm the OG of that. So I love it. I do. I love video games. I think video games are great. I, I'm not one of those people that knocks on it. I think we need to put more energy into, into video games. But we also need to protect books, right? And books are, they deliver a, a some, they, they do something special with, with your mind. They, they put a movie into your mind. They transpose uh, from words. It's magic. It truly is magic. You know, if you read, if you read the poetic Edda, right, if, if you, if you know the story of Odin when he gets uh, pinned to the world tree for nine nights and sacrifices himself onto himself. And mm-hmm. to, he, he puts his eye in the well and learns the secret of the runes. What he's talking about is the magic of writing. You got to keep in mind to our ancestors, writing, literacy, which there's an argument to be made that literacy made people dumber, but you got to think to people that invented uh, writing, these shapes put ideas in your head to look at these shapes and in your head, you, you hear ideas. You can, yeah. you know, that is magic. That is magic. When people, Absolutely. Think, when people think magic, they think Harry Potter and wizards and fireballs and Dungeons and Dragons. That's not what magic is. Magic is, is what we consider mundane and we take for granted today. Books are magic because you read these, these just it's all it is is paper ink and that's it cardstock. And you look at it and you decipher from the shapes on the page, an entire world, an entire movie visualization in your mind. That is magic. And that does something special for your brain. And we need to give this back to young men and young women, too. You know, the, the literature for women is abysmal now. I can't tell you. We have a lot of female readers, The Bizarre is Not just for oh, God. Yeah. We have a ton of female readers that love our books. Because what, what's out there now is not what they like. They don't want to. Women don't want to read a story with a girl boss that, that like, slaughters men and carries a sword that weighs more than herself. They yeah. don't want to read about a, a woman in a love triangle that, treats men like shit your normal your normal woman that's of sound mind loves her father she loves her brothers she loves the men in her life she doesn't need this this like feminist fantasy where she treats men like shit she wants to read stories where you know she loves men where the women and the men fall in love in a wholesome way wholesome true romance that's what she wants to read she wants to read about uh, them overcoming things they also women also women like spooky stuff for some reason they're attracted to it the, you know uh, they want they want to see this kind of stuff they're not really as attracted to science fiction and stuff that we are but there needs to be fantasy and imaginative literature that appeals to women too and we don't even try we don't we don't go writing books saying oh we want to write this for girls too we just write what we think is good books and they like it They like mystery. They like uh, weirdness. They like esoteric motifs. They like thrills and chills, just like men do. And uh, literature that's aimed at women nowadays has alienated them too. So our goal is to give the people back literature in an accessible, awesome way that doesn't alienate them.
1: And I think you are doing a great job getting that done, Dave. We're, uh, we're nearing the two hour mark So um, I think it, it might be time To uh, begin to wrap it up But that being said um, Please, you know This is your forum If you have any, uh, anything upcoming You want to plug um, Have at it The Biz Archives uh, Volume 5 That came out in August Everyone should buy it
2: Yeah, well first of all Thank you Mr. Dan for having me on I'm very grateful um absolutely and, and guys like you and your crew and i i see what you guys are doing and, and uh, i don't i'm so busy i don't really have time to interact with everybody and stuff like that but i notice and i see what like what you're doing with new right and what you guys oh, are doing thanks yeah in your sphere and shout out to all the guys on twitter that that are kind enough to to let me come on and, and hoot and holler and shout and you know all this kind of stuff it's just, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. There's a lot of love in what we're doing now. It's like, a, absolutely. it's a brotherhood. It's a, it's a community. It's all this kind of stuff. And it's very special. And, uh, I, I, I'm very, very grateful for it. It's, I cherish it. It's truly a gift. So, um, for you guys out there that might not be familiar with me or the bizarre archives, you can go over to the That is T H E B I Z A R C H. IVES.com. And you can go buy books. We have lots of great books in and around 10 bucks. You can't beat it. Like Mr. Dan said, the Bizarre Archives issue five. Which dropped in August. That's just man. We've been. It's really done well. Folks really, really enjoy it. I'm very, very uh, blessed and proud that folks really enjoyed that. That uh, we can continue to deliver on the same level that we do. So Bizarre Archives Issue Five has a lot of great stories in it. Man, a lot of great. I'm in there with a story. Where some of the people reached out to me and said my story in Bizarre Archives Five is the best one I ever did. It's called <clears> Human <throat> Candles a really weird supernatural set in 1800s Philadelphia and there's weird science stuff so guys go check that out lots of other great authors in there names you'll recognize um, a fellow named Paul Fahrenheit who's uh, oh yeah friend of the pod Friend, he's always a friend of the pod here he's uh, over on doing his thing on Twitter he's in there with uh, I, I believe it's his debut fiction work so he's in there Yeah, you know, awesome. guys like A. Cuthbertson, MS Jones C.P. Webster, Arbogast all in there so all your favorites are in there and um we have so many other great books that are out there too cosmic horror double feature spire if you like cosmic horror the molybdis articulate from uh my my good friend and kinsman shane hawks the molybdis articulate is really freaky it's probably the only book we ever put out that i had people email me tell me it's too disturbing to finish (laughs) and you know I i had i had an older lady email me and she said she didn't want to leave a bad review. Uh, but she said this book was too disturbing for her to finish. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I take that as a compliment. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. You. So yeah, that book is pretty weird. Really, really out there. Um, we have some great uh, fantasy stuff. MS Jones, The Chronicles of Heraldria. The uh, Sacred Times Part 2 is about to drop any week now. So if you're a fan of Tolkien or Wheel of Time or anything like that, you gotta get that. It's really really great stuff if you like noir arbogast uh shanghai horror is off the chain if you like like weird spooky detective stories what else have we got the horror beneath by cp webster cp webster is it just a giant that's a, just a tremendous tale uh, who else do we got out man we have I, i'm like forgetting i'm like for, if you like cyberpunk spire by A. Cuthbertson mm-hmm. is fantastic um, and man, what else is in? It? And then all, also, all of our reprints Masters of Horror, The Willows, Man the 25th Century, freaking. Um, what else we got? Oh, I can't even think. It's an uh, incredible house,
1: body of work here.
2: Yeah, we got a lot of stuff. It, I'm starting, I'm starting no, to no, have trouble. No,
1: absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah,
2: have Joel keep track of the catalog pretty soon. I'm gonna, <laughs> like, I'm gonna have to have like a, like a sheet in front of me or something. But anyway, it's
1: one of those good problems.
2: Yeah, it is a good problem to have, but all in and around 10 bucks. We're actually sold out in the store uh, on a lot of this stuff, so uh, you have to go. You can follow the links on the website over to Amazon, and Amazon delivers all over the world. It's priced similar to, to how it is on our website, so uh, you have to go through them. Um, follow us on Twitter and Telegram at the Bizarre Archives, and you know, just kiss stay tuned. Our Substack is is dope. Our Substack is dope. I'm very proud of it. It's an awesome publication. Um, that kind of helps us. With auxiliary uh, auxiliary funds, so if you own all of our books, or maybe you have a couple books, and some of the other books aren't really your style or your preference, go check out our Substack. You can—I think it's only five bucks a month. You can sign up, and you get—we um, give discounts out. We get articles that come out. We have a series. We haven't had an article a submission for it. But we went called Paranormal Transmissions. Where guys give in their eyewitness accounts of the paranormal. And some of it is pretty weird. We've had some people that saw Bigfoot, have some people that have UFO stories, ghost stories, but some really, really crazy stuff. So go over, check out Paranormal Transmissions over there. We also um, have a, a merch site that has some really dope stuff for you, Jim Bros out there that want to invoke the power of the Eldritch forces of the great old ones. You could get a tank top for when you go into the Temple of Iron called eldritch strength and it's got Kulu on there and he's all jacked and yoked so you get a get a get some of that so we got lots of stuff going on we're in we're getting into film getting into games getting in everything so stay tuned sub you could go sub for free on the sub stack follow us on twitter telegram all that
1: thank you for coming on dave buy books this buy is books. Uh, there we go that is my admonition to you new right listeners buy books buy dave's books It's good stuff.